What does the Bible say about student loan forgiveness? On August 24th, President Joe Biden's administration unveiled a plan that will cancel $10,000 of student loan debt for people making as much as $125,000 annually. Hello, friends. My name is Jonathan Burris. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and teacher. The goal of this channel is to help Christians stand tall in a fallen world. If you're interested in discussing the Bible and related events, this is the channel for you. Before we dig into today's topic, please be so kind as to click the like button below and subscribe to the channel. Those two things make a huge impact. According to the U.S. Department of Education, the average undergrad student graduates with about $25,000 in student debt. Under this new plan, the Education Department would provide up to $20,000 in debt cancellation to Pell Grant recipients and up to $10,000 in debt cancellation to non-Pell Grant recipients. Individuals would qualify if they make less than 125k a year, and married couples would qualify if their combined income is less than $250,000. Now, on the flip side of that, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel criticized the announcement, and she called the plan a bailout for the wealthy. She said, Biden's bailout unfairly punishes Americans who saved for college or made a different career choice, and voters see right through this short-sighted, poorly-veiled vote-by. As the political banner continues, the Bible in the name of Christ keeps being brought up by proponents of this debt forgiveness. The hashtag student loan forgiveness is trending on Twitter and the debate is straight fire. One of the biggest logs on the fire is this tweet by John Pavlovitz. He says conservative Christians are fully enraged at student loan forgiveness, missing the irony that their entire professed religion is based on the idea of a canceled debt. Way to lose the plot, kids. Pavlovitz is a liberal pastor and activist from Wake Forest, North Carolina, whose focus is on equality, or should I say equity, diversity, and social justice. And herein lies the problem. It's not that Christianity is involved in secular things, but rather secular people have profaned the message of the Bible. Whatever your views are on inflation, the $31 trillion in national debt, or your own personal anecdotal experiences with student loan debt, the Christian's view must be consistent with the Word of God. In Pavlovich's statement, there is a massive difference between what Christ did and what the Biden administration is trying to do. First, Jesus, as the second person of the Godhead, is the offended party and the only one who can rightly forgive our sin debt. But that sin debt cannot merely be written off. It had to be transferred to another who could pay our sin debt. God's righteous wrath must be satisfied. Another sinful creature could not pay that debt. And, as Brother Kenny Baldwin says, when there wasn't a man good enough and when there wasn't a lamb white enough, God sent forth his only begotten son to become sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin debt was transferred to the one who agreed to take on that debt and one who was capable of paying it. Since he declared our debt, he alone was worthy to forgive it. Now, that flies in the face of the argument being made in support of student loan forgiveness. First, the debt's not being forgiven. It's being transferred from the debtor, the, the one who owes the money, to the American taxpayers. We weren't signatory to the original agreement. We didn't agree to take on the debt of another. Therefore, the debt should not be placed upon Americans who were not a party to the contract. All of the Old Testament references to debt forgiveness were strictly between the debtor and the lender who were willing participants. 
Therefore, any application of those part practices fall under the logical fallacies of red herring, equivocation, appeal to pity, and the bandwagon fallacy. So what is the correct position on this issue? Well, it's really quite simple. Numbers 30 and verse number 2 says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Romans 13, 6-8 says, for, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. In summary, there is nothing more unfair or unbiblical than transferring the debt of some to others without their consent. This is not Christianity. It's redistribution of wealth. It does not build strong societies. It divides. It does not produce equality or equity. It kills cultures and it cripples society. The free bread of the Romans merely made the poorest poor and the dependent more dependent. It was not a hand up. It was a hand out. Redistribution of wealth inhibits hard work and honest gain. And worst of all, it teaches that there are no consequences for our actions if we choose to live irresponsibly. And there is no value in working hard and paying what you owe.